Acts 28. Uh, Does anyone need one of the handouts? This is the same one from last week, uh, and it's going to be the same one for next week. So it's a three-weeker. Okay, a couple back here in the back. So Acts 28, I will go ahead and catch you up on a little bit of these points, and then we're going to get into our new text. Now last week, we started with point one. We're looking, at, we're looking then at how God works in various ways. I used the words, uh, God works through unexpected resources. He works through unexpected means. God can work in any way that He sees fit, and it's often not the same way that he works in somebody else's life. He just works in various ways. And that was what we looked at in in this first point, that the fact that God isn't limited. And the first thing we saw, we're going to go through these really fast, but we saw the reception by strangers. The reception by strangers. These were these barbarous islanders, the ones who didn't know how to speak the right language, who usually would kill people, and God used them to help provide for the needs of Paul and for his crew, for that whole ship for that matter. But we saw how he works this, through this reception by strangers. And we need to be willing to be like that. We need to be those strangers. Their application statement, let's be available for God to use us and be willing to receive those in need. Then we moved on to the second point. Uh, sometimes God will work through our reaction to trials. He works in the way that we respond and how when things come our way, you know, we can get so discouraged when, at least I do, when I see people who are going through trials and everything is the, the woe is me, life is horrible, this is an awful thing, I'm just discouraged right along with them. But when I hear followers of Jesus wanting to praise Him for how good He is in the midst of our trials, it encourages me. It lifts me up. And we can be, God can use our reaction to trials. Your application statement on that one. Let's commit to respond to trials, whether it's our own or others, in a manner that's pleasing to our Lord. That needs to be our attitude. The last thing we saw, He can work through others' reversals. He can work through other people going through difficult times. It, we're, we're quick in our culture at times to want to point our finger and accuse people of not being right with God because things aren't going their way. Or if things are going their way, oh, they're God's blessing. You don't know what God's doing. So we need to be really careful how we attribute circumstances to somebody's walk with God. And in this case, it was a negative thing, and God used it. He allowed it and, and uh, published His Father's life. So your application statement on that last one, God may be using someone else's storm, so let's be quicker to help than to condemn. And that brings us to our text today. Now, a phrase that we've used often, I got, I got asked about um, a verse uh, recently, uh, Hebrews 10.25, don't need to turn there. We know this text. We know that as, the, as we see Jesus' return getting closer, the, the more we see His return, the more we see the signs of the times, if you will, we are to purposefully come together to exhort one another. 
And that term exhort, the idea, it, it can be a negative and a positive. It's the idea, you, know, you need to come together and encourage me. I need to encourage you. But at the same time, when we see someone that's starting to make some steps down a wrong direction, we need to come alongside. We don't need to come alongside and shake our bony little finger at them. We need to come alongside and love them. We need to let them see that you know, Jesus died for them. We, we, we owe Him because He loved us. We should love Him. There should be this, this exhortation that is happening on a regular basis. And then I'll, let me make it a little bit bolder. God desires this. God wants you and me coming together regularly and encouraging one another. Notice what I didn't say. God, doesn't, God never says in His Word He wants us to come together so you can get fed. He doesn't say that. And I don't, I'm not talking food in the back. I'm talking spiritual, the preaching. That's, you don't come together just so you can get something. We come together to serve. We come together to encourage and to lift each other up, to help each other. And this is really the, one of the primary places we can do this. We come together as a local body. And it is for the purpose of exhorting. Now, obviously, we can't do this very well virtually. And I, some of you have joined us on Zoom meetings. That's why this thing's up here. There's people on here today. But I'll tell you what, as thankful as I am that people can get on here and still enjoy as much as they can a service, it's better to be here. It is better to be where you can serve and you can be served. You can be ministered to as a result of coming and being at this local assembly. But it also applies to believers outside of this body. It's not just an us thing. You know, one of the things I've had the privilege, I consider it a privilege. Um, we have had, part of this was my dad's doing. Um, he would, he wanted to see the West. We had a rig that he could see it in. And he said, I will come out and I'll pay for the gas and I'll drive you wherever you, wherever I want to go. You drive me and I'll take care of it because I want to see out there more. We got to see a lot of stuff. And I'm very thankful because for me, that was a blessing. But one of the things that happened as we traveled, not just with, you know, it was more when we traveled by ourselves, as we traveled across and back in the country, um, we ran into problems. That We had an, an older rig, and it would have issues. But some of those times when we had issues, there were believers that we would meet as a direct result of those issues. And it was a blessing to us. I hope it was somehow a blessing to them because they, got to be a, because they got to be a blessing to us. And we'll see that in a few minutes. But God used saved people to help us. He used unsaved people to help us. And I still have you know, these... It is a blessing for me as I think back on how God used those things to encourage us. God uses other people, saved, unsaved, circumstances, whatever, to encourage us. There were some of those churches that we would meet that we would purposefully go back to on another vacation just to go and be with them. 
That's what it's like. This is what being a follower of Jesus should be like. It's not just this little group. There are believers other places we go to and, we, and we've just developed friendships. And they encourage us. We encourage them. That is the point I'm trying to push here. These relationships are priceless. And I believe, this is my opinion, God is honored by those kind of relationships. He wants us to encourage each other. Right now, you and I can't go outside these walls. We're stuck in here for an hour. I get it. So let's just talk about us. God is honored. God is glorified as you and I build relationship and encourage each other. He wants that today out of you and me. So I encourage you as we go through this message, be asking God, how can I do this better? What do you want me to do? If you walk out of here and you have just read these verses, you've got nothing. Let's go through and see what God expects from us in these relationships. This is what he wants here. One of the words I want to throw at you is this. God wants us to purposefully Not just accidentally. He wants us to purposefully, intentionally be reaching out and encouraging other believers. I'm a broken record. I know it. If we don't do it intentional, it's not going to happen. It must be intentional. So we're going to see some different situations in our text today, the one that was read just a little while ago. We're going to see how churches in Paul's day encouraged him. And I'm going to do my best to apply this for us and show how we should be trying to encourage one another. Okay? So, let's have a word of prayer and we'll look at these texts. Father, thank You for Your goodness. Lord, I thank You that You love us. I thank You that... Lord, You delight to work in us. You desire to grow us. I thank You that, Lord, You continue to try to conform us to the image of Your Son. Thank You for not giving up on us. Lord, I I ask You this morning to please work in us as a church. God, help us to be desiring to be molded into your image. Lord, I ask that you would help me as I preach. Help me to be accurate to your word. Please keep me from being a distraction from the message you desire to have given this morning. Lord, above all, would you please glorify yourself in some way by our efforts here. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we are on point two. God uses His redeemed to encourage others. God uses followers of Jesus to encourage other people. Now, obviously, that's not limited. God can use whatever He wants to use. One of the examples I was mentioning earlier as we were traveling that God used to tremendously encourage us when we we were down uh, with that rig, it, it was the owner of a uh, tavern that decided she wanted to help us. 
And that lady was just a total blessing to us. She it was it was God sent and from all intents and purposes, we could see an unsafe person to come and help us. God can use whatever circumstances or people He desires to use. But He states specifically in Hebrews 10.25 that we referenced a minute ago that we as followers of Jesus, you and I are to gather together to exhort one another. We are intentionally supposed to be doing this. And we know we're to do good to all men. We're to do good to everybody, but especially them of the household of faith, especially followers of Jesus. For whatever purpose God had, God has set His economy up to work in this manner through His children, through the church. And if we can accept that, that, that presupposition that I'm giving you, this is how God has set things up, the following points I'm going to make here are going to just branch off of it. So, you and I, we need to encourage others, first of all, when it's reasonably convenient. There's your first point. When it's reasonably convenient. So what are we talking about here? Go back to verse 11. After three months, we departed in a ship of Alexandria, which had wintered in the isle, whose sign was Castor and Pollux. We'll stop there just a second. I'm not going to spend time on the Castor and the Pollux thing. The ships had the little things, carvings off the front. It was idle stuff. It was they, they were superstitious. That's what they did for their good luck charm, and that's why it was recorded. I'm not sure, but that was the ship that they happened to have gotten. They got on with, so they had their 276, and they got on with this ship that also had people and grain in it. So this is going to be a crowded ship. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 12, they landed at Syracuse, tarried there three days. From there, they fetched a compass. We'll get to that point. Came to Regium. After one day, the south wind blew, and we came the next day to Puteoli, where we found brethren that desired us to stay with them seven days, so we went toward Rome. So they are at Malta. They're there for three months. We saw that last time. Paul has been having a ministry where he and his, I'll say his crew, Luke and, um, I just forgot his name. Somebody help me out. I just forgot the guy's name. This was Paul. Aristarchus. Okay. I'm calm now. Things are good. Okay, let's get back. So Luke and his crew, these guys have been ministering for three months. And it looks like, the indications, there is a church that has been formed in three months. History tells us that the, fellow, the, the, the governor of the island became the first pastor of that church. Church tradition, I should say, tells us. But despite all of these obstacles that had been coming, despite the problems that had been going on with, with Paul, with the weather and everything that's been going against him, God's plan hasn't been stopped. Everything is going the way that God desires it to go. So they land on this island, they find this other ship a few miles down the island, they get on it, and now they're heading north. I want you to notice with verse, uh, with verse 12, I'm just going to take you through this really fast on a map so you can see what's going on. Verse 12, they landed at Syracuse. Here's Malta, little island where they were. They got as far as Syracuse. This is the capital 
of Sicily. There three days, we know nothing about what happened. Nothing is given to us. So they're there for three days. Verse 13, a phrase we never use today. From there, we fetched a compass. Okay, fetched a compass means nothing to me. Uh, here's what fetched a compass is. If you have ever sailed, you know that if the wind is blowing this direction and you want to go that direction, you can do what's called tacking. And you can make these zigzag lines. And you can go that direction even though the wind is blowing against you. That's what fetched a compass is. They tacked from here all the way up to Regium, which means it was a very slow go. It's a difficult sailing. That's the point that, that Luke is mentioning here. It was a slower trip. Now, verse 13, as well, it says, when the, after one day the south wind blew. Once they got the Regium, they had a south wind. And if you remember, do you remember hearing about the south wind before? South wind is what blew when they went into that hurricane. This time it turned out good. That time it turned out really bad. My point, I'm just going to push this really fast and we're going to come off of it. Don't base your decisions on your circumstances. What we need to make our decisions off of is the Word of God. We need to look at what God says, what His principles are. When God doesn't address it, it's not a right-wrong issue. You make your decision, you go. But you make sure that you're lining up with the Word of God. Don't base it on circumstances. That's a side thing. So the, the, this is where they're at at this point. Now we're told in verse 13 that when they came to, uh, to Regium, they left and went to Cutioli, which is right up here. So they made this long trip in one day. They had good time sailing. Everything was going fine. Cutioli was the best, biggest, most influential, if you will, port in Rome. Not Rome, Italy. It's about 150 miles from Rome, but it was still the main port. It was the one that everyone would come into. But notice verse 14. They got to Puteoli, verse 14, where we found brethren. Let me tell you what didn't happen. They didn't step off the ship, look around and notice a steeple down the street and, ooh, we found a church. The word we have here, they found brethren. That word means to find after searching. They went looking. They went, they were desiring to find other believers. And the word that's used here for brethren is not the one we have where we would have, uh, the Jewish. This would have either been a Gentile congregation or a mixed Jewish Gentile congregation. They found other believers. And apparently, Julius, the centurion that's over Paul, apparently he gave Paul freedom to do this. Now my first question is, how did a church get there? Paul hadn't been there yet. Paul hasn't gone over and done any missionary work. He hasn't made it that far. So how do you get a church there? You remember back at Pentecost? There were Jews that came from Rome. And those Jews heard about Jesus, their Messiah. And those Jews were converted, and they took that boat ride right back over here to Rome. And I'll tell you what it sounds like is happening. Christians are doing their job. Christians started telling other people about Jesus, and this thing spread. 
They didn't need Paul. They didn't need an organization. They didn't need anything other than the Word of God and Jesus to proclaim. People, we don't need to be saved. We should never have in our mindset, I can't go and make disciples. God can't use me. I've got to go get pastor. I've got to go get somebody who's, who knows more what they're doing. God can use you right where you are. He took people that had heard about Jesus as their Messiah for probably, probably one to three weeks time frame. They came back here and they've already got another church started 150 miles away. This is awesome. And that church is, was grown, had grown enough so that Paul was able to find people in a big port city. That's what we need to be doing. So these people had branched out. They did what they should have been doing. So here's what happens. Now he gets to this, to this town, Puteoli, and these people have the big guy, Paul, comes to their town. And I'm going to use this phrase a few times. They have this opportunity literally dropped in their laps. We get to serve Paul. We get to minister to Paul. Can you imagine if that happened with us? To have somebody like Paul come through and we just, boom, he lands here and we get to minister to him. It was a blessing for them. This is a great thing. They didn't have to search. They didn't have to do anything. It was really, here's the word, it was very convenient. Everything was convenient. So because of this, it says in the middle of that verse that they desired him to stay there seven days. They invited him. They begged him. They entreated him. Stay a week here with us. Let us minister to you. And by the way, can you imagine the Bible conference that happened during that week? Can you imagine sitting at the feet of Paul and hearing his preaching? They got to experience this. But they took care of those men. And it was a blessing, I'm going to say, for Paul and his crew as well as for this church. Okay, what does that have to do with us? There are so many times that we have opportunities literally drop in our lap. Opportunities where we can be a blessing. Opportunities where we can serve people. It could be somebody needing help within the body here, within the church. We get to provide a meal. We get to help with needs. It could be visiting speakers coming in. We get to you know, provide them something. We get to help give towards their ministry. We can give words of encouragement constantly here. Just having the freedom in our country to come here. We can come and encourage others just with attendance. You may be thinking, I don't encourage too many people by being here. Let me tell you what, there's been times when I look around and I'm thinking, where's so-and-so? And it's not encouraging. And then you see them show up and you are pumped. Just seeing people is a tremendous encouragement. These are things that we just have these freedoms granted to us. This again is one of my opinions. I can't back this up with anything. I think this category of convenient, that's what mostly describes our culture. 
we have things so convenient to us. I, mean, I mentioned I mean, we have these freedoms. And like it or not, I, I, I'm, I'm not, we'll just say it this way, we have more resources than pretty much anybody on the face of this planet. And it doesn't matter what level of resource having you're in. We have stuff that we can share that most in this world don't. It's convenient for us. See, the problem is we just got to be willing to take opportunities and use them. We need to be willing to actively minister in somebody else's life. Because like it or not, you've got opportunities. They are brought in your lap on a regular basis. Just like happened to these people, this church in Puteoli. We need to do the same thing. Your application statement. Let's take advantage of the opportunities put before us and be faithful to serve our Lord by serving others. Now, not everything comes easy to us. I understand this. There are times when, you know, opportunities just aren't there. There are times that the Lord wants you to step out of your comfort zone, to get out of the me syndrome, and he wants us to actively reach out and minister to and encourage other people. When it's not dropped in our lap, there's your second point, when it's a real sacrifice. He wants us to encourage others when it's a real sacrifice. So during this week, Paul was at this Puteoli church, Keep in mind, you had his 276, you had however many were on this other ship that they got on. They get to Puteoli, and some of those people, they're going to Rome. That's where they're heading. They leave. It's 150 miles. Do the math, it's about a seven-day trip. Paul's with these guys for seven days. They get up to Puteoli, and somehow, word's getting around. The church up there hears about it. They hear that Paul is down there and he's with this church. End of verse 14, after that week, we went toward Rome. So they start up this road. Go ahead and give me that next map. They start up this road going towards Rome. Now there are these two towns that we read about. Three rivers, Appii Forum. Verse 15, from thence... When the brethren heard of us, okay, when the ones up in Rome heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Appii Forum and the three taverns, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. You look on this map, and that may not look like a big deal, but here's what happened. These guys heard that Paul was there, and they came down to these two towns. Maybe you had a younger crowd who made it further than the older crowd. I don't know. But the one, the Appii Forum, is about 43 miles that they had to travel. Two, two and a half days. They traveled this long distance just to come down. And the word he uses here, they came to meet us. That word meet is the word that we use when an inferior gets introduced to a superior. It's used of royalty when you come to meet someone who's above you. This is the word, the word that is used in 1 Thessalonians 4.17 when we, it says we are going to meet the Lord in the air. The inferiors are going to meet the superior. He, he's going to allow us to come and see Him. This group, one went 43 miles down to Appii Forum, one went about 33 miles down to three taverns. 
The first town, that Appii Forum, where Paul got to, there is writings about that town that said it was full, let me get the quote, it is full of boatmen and cheating innkeepers. So just think of it in the sense of having a bunch of sailors who are crusty, who have been out on the ocean, and they're coming in, and they are wanting to party. That's Appii Forum. This would be like me, and okay, I'm biased, so if you like this town, you forgive me, like me saying, I'm going to go up to the downtown Chicago and meet somebody. I have no desire. You can have. I don't want to go see Chicago. I would rather go in the woods somewhere. They went down and they put themselves in a position that was dangerous. They came down because they wanted to be an encouragement. They want to help Paul. They want to be doing the right thing by Paul. And notice the result that happens at the end of this verse. Paul, when he saw them, he was grateful. He thanked God and he took courage. Paul took courage. Do you realize that Paul was getting, according to this, discouraged? You really think an apostle could get discouraged? Could an apostle get down? Could an apostle, let's use our words we hear today, could an apostle be depressed? You better believe he could. He was a man just like any other. There was nothing in that sense special about him. He had trouble. So I've had people come to me and it's like, you took a position in a church. You don't get down, do you? You don't struggle with sin. You got the wrong guy. Personally, the, I would say the more that you get involved with serving Jesus, the harder the attacks get. The worse it gets. Paul was struggling. Paul was having an extremely difficult time and they came. And here's the point. They came down and they sacrificed and they boosted him up. They helped him just by making this trip. I, I really don't think that these people that came down had these tremendous words of wisdom that Paul needed. They were there. They loved him. They cared about him, and Paul was grateful, and Paul was encouraged. These people sacrificed, and it worked. Listen, a lot of times, our attempts to encourage someone, it really does get noticed. And it's not because you say all the right things. Sometimes we say too much. A lot of times, just coming and being there and showing someone you care. You can encourage people, and I mentioned that at the beginning, just by your attendance to where they are. We can encourage people, and that's what these people did. And it's especially helpful when they went way out of their way to do it. They had a real sacrifice. Verse 16. When we came to Rome... So he leaves, he gets, those people kind of escort him up. We come to Rome, the centurion, he did his job, he delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was suffered, he was allowed to dwell by himself with the soldier that kept him. So they continue up to Rome, and the centurion, he just does his job, okay, this is what he's got to do. He turns the prisoners over. That's his responsibility 
But I love the middle of that verse, but Paul. But Paul. That centurion stuck his neck out and said, you know what, I don't want him going into this prison. I want him to be put over here in this apartment. You take care of this man. This guy, this centurion, stuck his neck out to help Paul. Prisons back then weren't like the prisons we have today. Today you get three hots and a cot. You get taken care of. You have a, you're not free. It's rough people. But your needs are provided. It wasn't that way then. There were times if you didn't have people to bring food into you, you would die. It was rough. This guy took care. He put his neck on the line and he took care of Paul. God used this guy. Notice to verse 16. Remember in the past we've mentioned sometimes we'll see the word we pop up. This is, one, this is the last time when we came to Rome. Luke's with him at this point. Luke's not, we're not going to have a we in the rest of this chapter. Now Luke's around. Luke gets mentioned. Paul wrote letters from here. He wrote Philemon and he wrote to the Colossians. Luke's mentioned in those books, but he's not able to live with him. He's not able to dwell with them. We're told that he dwell, they let Paul dwell by himself. So he had a rented, I'll call it an apartment, a rented apartment. He had a guard with him all the time. He wasn't free, but he had a lot more freedoms than any of those other prisoners could have imagined. That centurion, again, took a real risk, a real sacrifice to help Paul. Now, I don't know if it was an unsaved man or a saved man that was helping him. That centurion had been with Paul for three months hearing the gospel. Maybe he came to Christ. I don't know. So what difference does this make, again, for us? Before... The first point, we look at the fact that we need to take advantage of opportunities that are dropped in our lap. We need to be willing to take advantage of those things that come our way. Here we're seeing we should be looking for opportunities. You and I should be going out of our way. We should be sacrificing to be able to be a help, to be able to be an encouragement to other people. It is so easy, I'm talking about me at this point, it is so easy to get out of that mindset and to get into a mindset of, you know what, I just want to be comfortable. I want my ease. I want things to be easy for me. I don't want to have to go out of my comfort zone because I don't, I don't enjoy getting, I don't, want to, I don't want to be pressured. That's a mindset that's too easy to get into. Can I just encourage us? Let's ask the Lord to give us a burden. To give us a desire to be an encouragement to other people, even when it's a sacrifice. It's not always going to be easy. So what does this look like? An example came up just about two weeks ago. I had a Church contacted me that a missionary was coming home. And they had been in outer Mongolia for 20 years. Now, I have a friend who's been here, uh, pastors now in California. He was in Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia. 
And that's like the city of Mongolia, and it's still nasty. Okay, this is outer Mongolia. You've got to drive about three days over like frozen lakes and through desert areas and just nasty areas. It's just, you sacrifice to get out there. These people have been faithful there, and my friend who's in California now knows these people. These people have been faithful for 20 years, and they're coming home. It turns out they own a home in Ohio. I don't know if they rented it. I don't know what happened, but it's run down. And a church contacted us to say, we're going to do something about this. They went out of their... This is the point I'm trying to make, not, the, not this issue specifically, but they went out of their way and they did something that was not necessarily comfortable and they're willing to make a sacrifice to help somebody that's in need. They want to encourage these people. That's the mindset we need to have. We need to be willing to sacrifice a little bit. Now maybe your situation isn't so dramatic. Sometimes it's just opening our eyes and looking around and seeing who's hurting. Look around and see a need and see if we can do something to meet it. Guess what? It might cost you a little bit of money. That's not the biggest issue. It might cost you a little bit of time. You might have to get your sleeve, roll up your sleeves and get your hands dirty. It might make you uncomfortable. That's where we seem to struggle. We don't want to get out of our comfort zone. But listen, mark my word. When you get busy trying to serve Jesus by being an encouragement to other people, you're going to be the one to get the bigger blessing. You are blessed. Okay, I am not talking about some kind of health, wealth, prosperity lie. It is not If you're into this at all, if you have been taught that you give to Jesus, you give, and God's going to give you back more. No, He's not. Not necessarily. He's never promised that at all. He owns it all, and you do, with your, you do with His money what He wants you to do, and you don't expect anything in return. So don't buy into the, He'll give you more money back. That is a lie. It's not scriptural. But, but here's what you will be the one that is blessed. You will be the one that is encouraged. And we need to be looking for that. Your application statement. Let's be anxious to obey our Lord by encouraging others and be serious about pursuing opportunities. It is worth the effort you'll put into it. And you'll be just as blessed, if not more, than they are. Last way we can encourage people on this is as when we recount our story. When we recount our story. Followers of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus today, we can encourage other people when we share what God has done in us. That is why Sunday nights we set, a time, we set aside time. I don't care how long it takes. I want to know what God is doing in your life. And I, I want to share these things because it is an encouraging thing. And as we share the Word of God, it will encourage others, whether that be followers. It can encourage those who aren't followers. Verse 17, came to pass that after three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together. He called together the Jews. Now, let's just notice a few things really fast on this part. Regardless of where Paul is, Paul does the same thing every time. He wants to share the gospel. 
Paul is all about, telling people about Jesus. That's his purpose. Listen, Christian, that's our purpose. That is your purpose in life, is to share Jesus, to proclaim Jesus. When people ask you, you what is your job? You may say, you know, I work at Stins. I work at Jasper Engines. My job is to be a proclaimer of Jesus Christ, and He has let me work at this place in order to be able to do that better. That's where I can go and do my job. My job is to follow Jesus. That's my purpose. That is what Paul's purpose was. And we see that here. He gets there, and within three days, he's calling people to be able to share Jesus. That's what glorifies our Lord. That's what we need to be passionate about. And the quicker we get this, the quicker we understand this truth, the better off your life's going to be. That's what we need to do. So Paul uses the same pattern he's always used, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. He can't go to them, so what does he do? He improvises. Now, Paul was flexible. I would suggest to us, we need to be flexible. Whether you like it or not, conditions change. Things change. Methods can change. What works in one culture may not work in another culture. What works here is not necessarily going to work in a city. Things change in different places. What may have worked 40, 50 years ago, you know what? Times change. We've got to be careful that we don't just say, you know, it worked this way back when I was a young thing. Be flexible. The only thing that we can never be flexible with is the gospel. Jesus doesn't change. The way that you and I make peace with God never changes. It is through Jesus and through Jesus alone, and that is exactly what Paul is preaching. We need to reach people with the gospel, and that's what Paul was doing. Now, I like the fact that Paul does reach back out to the Jews. He's not a bitter man. Who's responsible for putting him where he is right now? It's the Jews. They hate him. The ones that he left hated him enough to want to see him dead. They were setting up scenarios to kill him. But Paul is not bitter. He still wants to reach these people with the gospel. He wrote from Corinth, if I remember right, he wrote the epistle to the Romans, and he said in Romans twelve fourteen to bless those who persecute you, bless and curse not. And he's practicing what he preaches. That's exactly what we need to be doing. He is not a bitter man. He intentionally is meeting with them. Again, verse 17, he called them together, and when they were come together, he said unto them, men and brethren, there's the phrase he would use for Jews, Though I have committed nothing against the people or customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, would have let me go, because there was no cause of death in me. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was constrained to appeal to Caesar, not that I had ought to accuse my nation of. He said, I have done nothing. And that word, it's actually a combination of three different Greek words. And it means, I have done absolutely, positively nothing, not even the slightest part of one. 
He hasn't done anything. There is nothing that he has done that has wronged the Jews, that has wronged their customs. The Romans said nothing worthy of death. They wanted to let him go. Jewish leaders bellyached about it. So they said, okay, we'll, we'll give in to your bellyaching and we'll keep him incarcerated. So Paul's forced to appeal. That's when we get to the end of verse 19 where he said, I, even though all this has happened, I don't have any vindictiveness. I don't have anything to accuse my nation of. I'm not coming after them. That was not his passion. He just wants to defend himself, be set free. And so here we have, this is his background. That's what he's telling them. Here's what has happened. So now he moves on to his witness in verse 20. For this cause, therefore, because all this happened, that's why I've called for you to see you and to speak with you because that for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. The reason that Paul is in the trouble that he is is because of the hope of Israel. That's a summary statement. Paul did not stand up and just say, I'm here for the hope of Israel. He explained what he meant. That's why in verse 22, if you look down, they've heard about this sect. So he's talking about Christianity. There was more said than than was summarized in these verses for us. When he talks about this hope of Israel, Paul is saying that Messiah has come. Jesus has fulfilled every qualification that was that had to be there to be Messiah, including, and this is where the Jews would get upset, the crucifixion and the resurrection. They don't like that. The Old Testament prophesied that these things were going to happen. Paul was showing them this. He showed them this is what the way, Christianity, this set, this is what it's all about. So it angered the Jews. And here's why it angered them. What the Jews did, and many still do, is they ignored the Old Testament prophecies about what we would call the first coming. They emphasized the second coming that we're still waiting on. And that's what they're, in their mind, waiting on. They ignored the 300 plus prophecies that had to do with Jesus' first coming, with their Messiah's first coming. That's where the problem is. And if they're wrong, which they are, they have to admit, and this is a shot to the pride, they'll have to admit that they missed their Messiah. He came and they missed him. He came and they didn't just miss, they rejected him. And they didn't just reject him, they killed him. That's what they did with their Messiah. Paul was bold in these letters. Paul is saying, this is why I'm getting the treatment I'm getting. This is what's happening. And Paul went to them and he let these people who were strangers to him him know the truth of the gospel when he had the opportunity. You and I should do the exact same thing. We need to be not just taking the opportunities that get dropped in our lap. We need to do our best to set up opportunities. And I'm not talking about going and, you know, cornering someone into a corner of a room and, and, and thumping them with our Bibles. I'm talking about setting up a relationship with someone and intentionally directing the conversation to things of Jesus. It's not easy. 
It can be difficult. It can cause hurt feelings and anger. We need to be willing to set up opportunities to witness and then be faithful to take advantage of them. Verse 21. They said unto him, We neither received letters of Judea concerning you. Okay, that makes sense. Remember, Paul went out on the last boat pretty much that left Jerusalem. He was on the last boat, and if they had sent letters on that boat, everything was destroyed on that boat. So they wouldn't have received letters yet. Neither any of the brethren came and showed or spoke any harm of you, but we desire to hear you. We want to hear what you're having to say, what you're thinking. For as concerning this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. It's hard to know how serious to take these Jews because about ten years before this time is, we know history, this is when Nero had kicked the Jews out of Rome. They had had conflict with Christians over who is Messiah, what's going on, who is this Jesus. There was conflict, it got really ugly, and they kicked the Jews out of Rome. They were expelled for a while. Now they're back. And here is Paul teaching this Messiah, teaching about Jesus. We don't want to get kicked out again. We're not going to ruffle feathers. I don't know what they're thinking, but there's no, they're being at least um, kind, polite. So they're helping in, in that sense. But verse with verse 21... They're saying, we don't know what you're talking about. We haven't heard anything about you. We haven't heard anything from Jerusalem. We're all good with this. But notice verse 22, we want to hear more. At least some of them wanted to know a little bit more. Even though we know from here, every, everybody that we know has spoken against the sect of the way. Everybody's spoken against Christianity. Paul knew this. Paul knew they didn't like Christianity. He would have never, ever known that there was an interest in some of these people's minds if he hadn't gone and confronted them and spoke with them about Jesus. He would have never known. That should be our heartbeat. No one no, you, you'll never know what people are open to receiving the gospel if you don't open your mouth and go confront them and talk with them. We need to have a passion for this. Have you ever used this phrase? I have, unfortunately. I, don't, I, I, I didn't think or I don't think they would be very interested. I don't think they'd be open to hearing me. Their lifestyle's different. They, they wouldn't want to hear from me. How do you know? How did I know that? I judged them. And what I did was I said, God, you're not able to break through on that one. That's a shame. We need to be willing to get out of our little comfort zones, suck it up, and get serving our Lord. That's what Paul was doing. So who's encouraged? I said people are encouraged when we share the gospel, when we share our story. Who is encouraged when we do this? Well, first of all, we are. You may be thinking, I'm not going to be very encouraged. I'm scared out of my wits to talk to people. You know what? When you start sharing Jesus, you will be encouraged. And if you're thinking you won't be, then my guess is you haven't tried it too much. 
As we submit to our Lord and we obey Him and we follow Him, it is an encouraging thing. It will help you. But other believers are encouraged too. When I am in these meetings that we have on Sunday nights and somebody says, I tried to share the gospel with, and they share somebody's name to pray for, I'm encouraged. I'm challenged to, to, to stop being lazy and making excuses and get doing the work of Jesus. It encourages me. Another group that's encouraged is those who hear the gospel and come to Jesus. I am so thankful that a number of people wasted their time, if you will, and spoke to me before I was saved. And tried to give input into my life. I am so thankful that there were more mature believers after I was saved who would come along and say, hey, look, bonehead. They didn't say that. I mean, I was. And they would encourage me to do right. And it didn't happen too quick. I was thick-headed. I'm still thick-headed. I get it. No amens on that one. You're in the back of the line. Thank you. I was totally encouraged when people spent time with me and helped me. People are encouraged as we do this and we need to take it seriously. Your application statement. As we grow in our love for our Lord, we'll also become more bold in our witness for Him. And as that happens, others will be encouraged. They will be. All of us, every one of us, we can, we should, and we must. It's not optional. We must be actively involved with encouraging other people. God has commanded it and He expects our obedience. It's not optional. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you have never entered into a relationship with Him, encouraging others, it's a nice thing. It makes you a nice person. It will make people like you. But it doesn't do one thing to help you earn points with Jesus. You'll earn no points by being, by being kind. The only way we can make peace with the God that we've offended is to come through Jesus Christ and His sacrifice that He has made for us. We need to receive Him as our Lord and our Savior. And I, I emphasize that, path, that, that, that word, receive Him as Lord. It is not just saying, you know, okay, you know, I'll pray a prayer. It is saying, I want Him to be in control of my life. I want to be His follower. I want Him to be my God. It is serious. It is a life commitment. That's what we need to do. That's how you make peace with God. And Christian, encouraging people, coming alongside, etc., it doesn't earn us more points with God. All the points we are going to earn, if you will, with God comes through us receiving Jesus. He, when He sees us through the lens of Jesus, we're righteous. We're, we are received of Him. We need to obey Him. We need to obey because we love Him. Because He first loved us. We need to obey Jesus and just want to glorify Him. He's worth it. And doing it is worth it. Let's stand for a moment.
If you've never become a follower of Jesus, I'd love to offer you the biggest encouragement you could ever receive, and that's forgiveness. Forgiveness by God through Jesus. And that's the only way we can get forgiveness. If you'd like to know more, please pull one of us aside. We'd love to help you with this. Christian, encouraging others in every area of our lives is not optional. And it must be done intentionally. I encourage you to think on that. You do business with God as Bethany Place.